Man, it feels good to be living eternally. I'm forgiven without a care in the world. Just catch me coasting and dipping. Catch me moving around. I love exploring this world. In and out of my town, I walk around. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to that Postmill podcast where we practice dissent from the typical podcast format and start our show with a closing statement. Well, thanks again to Matt Truella for joining us today and spending the last three hours exegeting Genesis 2530. We now clearly understand the traditional kosher way to prepare red stew. <laughs> All right, guys, since since I forgot to say spoiler alert at the beginning, now no one will listen to this episode knowing Pastor Truella will be talking about red stew the whole time. So we should probably see if there's anything else that he's an expert in that we could talk about. Any, any ideas? Well, I got his book sitting right here. Doctor and Lesser Magistrates. Let's go with that. And I'm uh, I'm really excited to um, to get into this. Uh, by the way, Pastor Matt, this is Adam Moore. Um, with us, we have Shani Adiemi. You He's got close. it. Nice. Adiemi. That's it. Yeah. Right, Shani. Just go by Shani. Uh, we have John Howell and Dustin Raynham. Colin is not with us today, but we were really excited to have you on because we were interested in. Specifically, your book, the Doctrine of Lesser Magistrates, the the website that you have, the work that you've been doing in this area, and so we we were hoping that you would maybe tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, briefly, and then maybe quickly define what we're actually talking about as far as like what is the Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates. That sounds great. It's really good to be here with you guys. Um, I'm pastor. I pastor Mercy Seat Christian Church. I'm a husband. Me and my wife Clara have been married 34 years. We have 11 children, and we just found out last weekend that we now have 12 grandchildren. So we made it to a dozen of them. Congratulations. I also head up a mission. Hey, thank you. I also head up a mission called Missionaries to the Preborn. Uh, we started that back in 1990 uh, here in the city of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And when we started, there were eight abortion clinics in our city. Well, thanks be to God, there's only two left. And abortion has dropped in our state by over 60%. Praise God. Oh, a little bit about me. Yeah, it's amazing. So you have this book, The Doctrine of the Ma- Lesser Magistrates. You also have a website, which is called lessermagistrates.com, right? Yeah, it's lessermagistrates.com. We actually have a, 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 another URL we use for it now. because People kept having a hard time remembering lesser magistrate or how to spell it. So now we have it, Defy Tyrants. So maybe you could just uh, give us a little, just kind of a little snippet about what it's all about. And a lot of people may, they think of tyrant, they think of king of England, they think of uh, like a despot, you know, um, Hitler type of person. And so maybe you could kind of talk to us about what what the doctrine actually is and and how it fits into our, our modern context. Yeah, I know tyranny raises its ugly head in any form of government whether it's a monarchy, a democracy, a dictatorship, or even a um, constitutional representative republic. <laughs> Tyranny raises its ugly head. So the doctrine of lesser magistrate is a, is a tool that is found in Scripture and proven in history to reign in tyranny by the higher-ranking civil authority. And the doctrine simply defined is, is that when the higher-ranking civil authority makes unjust or immoral laws, policies, or court opinions, the lower or lesser ranking civil authority has both the right and the duty 
not to obey the higher authority, and if necessary, to actively resist them. We call it a doctrine because it was actually established by Christian men in 1550 in what's known as the Magdeburg Confession. Um, we use the term magistrate because they were the first to formalize it back then. That was the term that was used back in those days. And um, magistrates are simply referring to any who holds public office, whether through appointment or through election. And we use, we use the term lesser, and that entails the fact of the jurisdiction that they hold. So in other words, if someone's a federal, if someone is a federal um, magistrate, you know, their jurisdiction is across the nation, whereas a governor encompasses his state or a county official encompasses his county. So the lesser magistrate is someone who's, um, you know, has less jurisdiction than a higher magistrate does. So, now, there's a great quote from a higher magistrate that kind of sums up the lesser magistrate doctrine. And I always like to use this as Roman Emperor Trajan. He said one time when he was handing a sword to one of his subordinates, he said, use this sword against my enemies if I give righteous commands. But if I give unrighteous commands, use it against me. That's kind of the doctrine summed up. In a nutshell, I actually start out my book with a story about Caligula, which if you know anything about Caligula, he was tyranny personified. And uh, he gave a law, an order, to the governor of Palestine, a man named Publius Petronius. And this was 39 AD. Caligula got ticked off at the Jews about something, so he decided that he was going to have a statue of himself made and placed in the temple there in Jerusalem. So he had the law and order sent to Governor Petronius. Petronius, being dutiful, immediately had the statue made and assembled his troops. He thought there might be a little trouble doing this, but he was going to obey the emperor. So the Jews got wind of this while everyone was waiting for spring to come at the governor's residence to come to Jerusalem and place the statue in the temple. So the Jews actually sent a delegation of men to plead with the governor to remonstrate before him, to petition him not to do this. And of course, Governor Petronius turned them away and basically said, yeah, I want to live, so I'm not going to listen to you. Well, the Jews weren't, you know, like your average American. Now we, you know, wrote our one letter and we're done now. They actually came back and when they came back with 10,000 people, and then they came back with 30,000 people, and they pleaded with him, they remonstrated, they said, please don't do this, uh, do not obey the uh, law of the emperor, uh, this is immoral, uh, what he wants to do to our temple, we cannot live in peaceful coexistence with it. Um, Petronius still wouldn't listen to that, in fact, the governor removed himself to Tiberius to get away from them, and still, the Jews were not dissuaded. They followed him there. And again, met with him by the thousands. They were neglecting their fields at this time. That's how important this was to them. And when they met this time, they actually put their necks before the emperor and said, kill us now, because we cannot live in peaceful coexistence This was this immoral action by the emperor. Well, Governor Petronius um, actually called the Jews back after they did that. And when they walked into the arena where he called for them to meet, there were 
news came in, they weren't sure what was going to happen here. Um, you know, they had told the, uh, the governor last time, you know, kill us now. Well, were they going to be killed? They were trepidatious. And um, Governor Petronius got up. He read the law of the emperor, and he gave what the penalty was if there wasn't compliance, which was death. And after announcing all that, he then stepped in between. He actually walked out and stepped in between the soldiers and the Jews and declared that he would not obey the law of the emperor and that he would entreat the emperor to rescind his law. This is what we call interposition, um, which we're going to talk about a little bit more. But let me finish the story. Um, word was sent by Governor Petronius to the emperor, um, exhorting him to rescind the law, letting him know he wouldn't follow the law. Of course, Caligula was enraged, as any tyrant would be. Um, they want conformity. And so he sent word by ship for Petronius to kill himself. Well, in God's providence, two weeks later, Caligula was actually assassinated by his Praetorian guard. And fortunately for Governor Petronius, the ship carrying word for him to kill himself arrived after the ship carrying news of the emperor's assassination. So the statue never was placed there in the temple in Jerusalem. So that's a, a story of the lesser magistrate doctrine. Actually, and you see this in scripture, John Knox, he wrote probably the best treatise on the lesser magistrate doctrine ever written called The Appellation to the Nobles of Scotland. The nobles were the lesser magistrates of their day. He cited over 70 passages of scripture within the appellation um, in order to show that it is found in scripture. So this is an important doctrine. You look at, you know, the field to Runnymede, uh, on the cover of my book, I have a picture of the nobles who met with this tyrant, King John. And people have to understand that the Magna Carta, which was produced by Christian men, and which all Western civilization still looks at as probably the touchstone of our liberties here in the West, there's a bronze replica of it in Washington, D.C., right in our capital. Um, it was because of the lesser magistrates' interposition that King John the Tyrant capitulated and signed the Magna Carta. The fact that they gathered together, they demanded its signing, um, that was what caused the Tyrant to give in. They were willing to use their swords, but there was no bloodshed. And that's one of the great things about the doctrine of the lesser magistrates. It provides opportunity to rein in acts by higher civil authority that are tyrannical, rein them in bloodlessly. Because, you know, if you have a peasant revolt, what usually happens is, yeah, all the peasants get wiped out. Just read history. But the tyrant authority always counts on its lesser authorities to accomplish their tyranny. And it's when they don't have their compliance that they have trouble on their hands. And uh, that was the case there at Running Mead. It's been the case down through history over and over again. Uh, that was a, that's kind of a doctrine in a nutshell. I think we have a question from Shaney. Shaney, you want to go ahead? Yeah, Pastor Matt. Um, so where in Scripture uh, is this doctrine taught for our readers that or our listeners that would not be familiar with it? Um, you may recall how um, the nobles actually 
Nehemiah and Baruch had them hide. Um, Knox goes into it extensively. I have a chapter in my book on John Knox and his appellation. He also quotes about uh, the story about Daniel and the three Hebrew children. It's important to remember that these were men who not only acted as individuals in their fealty to Christ, but they were also men who were in office. They were lesser magistrates. They're in captivity. Uh, they're in Babylon. And so by their act of interposition as a public official, not only did they uh, render faithful service to Christ, uh, faithful service to the Lord in the earth, but they also benefit all the other people in the area because they were willing to take upon risk for themselves by interposing against the unjust and immoral decree of the king. So, but yeah, there's lots of passages and uh, bring them up in the book. So, um, here's another question for you. So, a, a lot of people... Well, John, do you have a question first? Well, I was just going to say, I think that... Um, and, and Matt, this is John. We've been talking uh, for the past couple of weeks, but... Um, and it's an honor to have you on. Uh, in your book, you do you do talk about that, but also in the sermon you recently gave to your government, your state government, I was very moved uh, towards the beginning of your, of your sermon when you went right into the example of Daniel and just really made an appeal to your magistrates to look to Scripture and to see how magistrates performed in the Scriptures. Um, what would you... Now, preaching to your... Um, magistrates is is definitely a, a way to educate magistrates and a way to call them to repentance and to do the right thing. What advice would you or would you have for the many Christians who want to see the kingdom expanded and the gospel and Christ honored and represented in their society, but they won't have an opportunity to maybe go to the state house and preach a sermon? What are some ways that uh, they can be involved not being magistrates with this whole um, this whole idea that you're talking about with the lesser magistrates and the and interposition and and whatnot. They can write to their magistrates. I think this is this is important. You know, you look at the apologists of old from 150 A.D. to 300 A.D. When you look at the writings of the apologists, they always address them to the magistrates of their day. And this was important because Christianity was being vilified and attacked within the culture. So they always address it to the magistrate of the area in which they lived or who they were writing to in that area, and also to the people of the area when they wrote. And so I believe that's important for us to do also. So if it's your governor, you can't get over there. Your legislator, you can't meet with them. It's a little ways away or whatever. Write a letter. I think letters are extremely important. Keep them short. Make your point. Um, you know, don't go over one page. But it's important also to meet with your local officials. The people are right nearby. You can sit down with them. You can talk with them. And you can talk about them with them about scenarios. For example, as we were heading into the whole thing with the Supreme Court, uh, trampling the constitutions of 31 states, we actually met with many county clerks here in, in uh, Wisconsin seeing if any would be willing to interpose. First, we sent a letter to all 72 of them. We already knew our governor, Scott Walker, wasn't going to do it. So we had already uh, gone there. And um, so we wanted to see if we could find any county clerks who would defy. We wrote a fantastic letter, one page long, sent it to them. And then we actually started following up with meetings. And not just 
me and two other people. I mean multiple people because they need to hear from multiple people. We met with them, sat down with them. We couldn't find one county clerk out of 72 counties in the whole state that would defy the federal government over this. We did also meet with the district attorneys and the sheriffs because we wanted to know if they would defend a county clerk who would defy against the feds. And we did find two sheriffs who said that they would protect the county clerk against federal aggression if um, the county clerk defied the federal government over this. But then they also followed up with a little caveat. They said, but I'd want to know that the people support me. And that's an important aspect about the docs and the lesser magistrate. Our local officials, our lesser magistrates, need to know that we will support them. In fact, usually the lesser magistrates won't act till the people prod them. That's a fact. I mean, just in the story I shared with you about Governor Petronius and the Jews and Emperor Caligula, did you see how important the role of the people was to actually get Governor Petronius to do the same thing? Well, that's how it is in the real world. Often the people have to prod their magistrates before they do what's needed and necessary. And that's a huge mistake Christian people have made um, because so many, you know, want nothing to do with politics. Uh, so they avoid this whole arena. And now we're seeing the fruits of what happens in the nation when Christian men and Christian people uh, abandon the arena of civil government as though somehow, you know, you can do that. Uh, that that's crazy. God's word speaks to all matters of life including matters of civil government. And so we have a duty to let the magistrates know what their duty is, what their God-given function is in the sight of God, is to uphold the law, word, and created order of him. Yeah. Hey, this is Dustin Raynham. Um, th- th- what I hear you saying about how this works out practically for the layman um, reminds me a lot of uh, Joel McDermott's book, Restoring America, just bottom-up approach, work, start locally, Get get you know grassroots get groups together and like what you're saying uh, go to the magistrates go to the the mayors the governors and just um, meet with them and talk to them about what they should be doing challenge them to uphold God's law and what what honors God um, do you uh, do you know of any other are there pockets um, of of counties or areas around the nation that um, have people doing this type of work actually. I mean, I, I, from my experience growing up, I've, I, I don't, I think it was past high school before I even thought that it would be worthwhile even contacting anyone, even locally legislature. It's just about legislature, about anything. It's just, it wasn't even in my mind. I feel like that's a mindset of a lot of, especially Christians these days where we're standoffish and we're not, we're not, especially if they're not post they're not, we're not thinking about transforming culture or stay out of politics kind of, you know, dispensational mindset. Um, but do you see a lot of areas around the nation that are that are doing this and are making are making changes? Oh, very much so. My book, I got to tell you, is selling hundreds and hundreds of copies every month. It's just a self-published work, and the reason I believe it's doing so good. Uh, listen, I have a, eleven kids. Um, I pastor a church, head up a mission. I am so busy. I have no time for self-promotion on this book. It's just taken off on its own. And I, I do radio interviews, uh, usually numerous ones every week. Um, people contacting me, I, again, no self-promotion whatsoever. And I believe it's because 
people see that we have a federal government that is totally lawless at this point. They've been so for decades. Um, but it, they continue to increase in their tyranny, and their, our people are waking up. Now, most people, you just read history, 85% of people, whatever country you're in, they don't care about anything about the government. They always care only about one thing, me, myself, and I. So this is an important point. You don't need a majority. You don't need to have the more numbers than the other people in order to see a change within the culture. What you need is just a small number of men who are committed um, to Christ and see the importance of doing exactly what we're talking about here, of meeting with their magistrates, of educating them. And it's so important to meet with them because they don't even know that people like us exist. They're like most Americans. They get the meru of news and entertainment media dumped on them. And they think that everybody thinks like that and that all the good people are gone. They need to hear from us. They need to see our faces. And you need to assure them that if they do what's needed and necessary, and they do stand in interposition, that you will give of your substance, that you will give of your very life, if necessary, in order to support them, to stand with them. Because, you know, Suetonius said that when the lower magistrates defy the higher authority, they grab the wolf by the ears. In other words, they put their lives in jeopardy. They're hazarding their lives to do what's right. So it's very important for us to assure them that we will stand with them four square. And the more people they meet with, or meet with them, I should say, who express this sentiment, the more that they are emboldened to do the right thing. And right now, we need this. I mean, you look at this whole thing with homosexual marriage right now. I mean, it's Roe v. Wade all over again. I probably got 20 emails, you know, in the last few days from pro-family, pro-Christian uh, groups, and they're all calling this court opinion the law of the land. A, it's not the law of the land. It's a court opinion. And it goes against the Constitution of the United States. So the Supreme Court, if they make a bad interpretation of the Constitution of the United States, then it's even more so incumbent upon the lesser magistrates to defy the federal government, to defy the U.S. Supreme Court, and uphold the Constitution in truth. Because there's nothing in there. There's nothing in the Constitution for this ruling to be constitutional. So this is an important point. By the way, all these groups that call it the law of the land, they did two things after that. First, they asked for money. Every one of them. It's like the latest evil in the land that they want to get rich off. It just kills me. And then they tell all the Christians, the only hope is a constitutional amendment to the U.S. Constitution. That's a bald-faced lie, and it's a total pipe, pipe dream. There is never going to be a federal constitutional amendment on behalf of the pre-born. There's never going to be a constitutional amendment regarding marriage, nor should there need to be. The states need to assert their authority and defy a tyrant. It's that simple. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. I think it'd be helpful. Maybe, maybe that's something we can work on, um, is putting together some type of resource that people can get on our website of just like a copy and paste. If you know, send a letter to your senator about about the same sex marriage decision, 
Um, and just, you know, maybe have a, just a gen- generic one that you can send to anybody, any of the lesser magistrates in your area, um, encouraging them to, to make the right choice here. Um, uh, but maybe, maybe we'll throw something together on a, on a, on our website and make a blog post about it. So everyone can go on there and just copy and paste it into an email or type it out into a letter. I'm sure handwritten, you know, would, would make more impact. Um, but, uh, maybe we'll, maybe we'll throw something together with that. But also along the lines with your book, I think it'd be good to help you out with that. Maybe we'll, uh, purchase one of your books and do a contest the week that we, um, have this episode go live, um, and give away one of your books to one of our listeners too. Anything we can do to, to support you in your work. That sounds great. I'd be glad to send you over a copy of the letters that we sent to the governor here and also to our county clerks. Um, you can see what we did here. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Thank you. Sure. So Shaney has a question that I think is really, I think, on everybody's mind. I've, I've seen this question come up a lot, Shaney. Mm-hmm. Right. So a uh, typical objection or question I, I could anticipate from a, a typical Christian is, uh, what about Romans 13? Uh, shouldn't we just submit, uh, to our government, whatever decision that they make? Um, you know, we're pilgrims in the land. We don't have, the Bible doesn't, the Bible only applies to personal matters, not political matters. And, re- uh, and it's just a religious book. It's not a political book. Um, so how would you answer that, Pastor Matt? Like in the case of the midwives, or forbids that which. 
we have a duty to obey God rather than man. So there's a whole host of verses um, that make it clear that uh, the people of God didn't always obey, and God commended them when they didn't. Even Paul, who penned Romans 13 in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, defied the federal, uh, saying federal, the civil authorities uh, when they wanted to arrest him. He knew they wanted to arrest him, and rather than submit, he craftily fled by being let down the wall in a basket. So then the third thing I point out, um, why Romans 13 does not teach unlimited obedience to the state, is because there's limitation clauses right within the passage itself. It makes clear what the duty, role, and function of the civil magistrate is. They are to reward those who do good and punish those who do evil. It's right there. It's clear as can be. So it doesn't address there in Romans 13 what to do if they begin to reward those who do evil and punish those who do good. But we know from looking at the whole of God's word what the response of Christians should be. We obey God rather than man. Extremely important to understand. In fact, you know, God established, you know, family government, church government, civil government. I always point out to people, you know, when you look at the places where it tells children to obey their parents, like in Ephesians, there are no limitation clauses there. Yet, no one would fault a child if he was told by his father to go down and rob the corner gas station, because if you get caught, you'll get less time in jail than I will. If a child disobeyed his dad for saying that, no one would fault him for that. Even though there's no limit, uh, limitation clauses there in Ephesians 6. And when it comes to church government, if the pastor was stealing money out of the offering plate or from the church somehow, and one of the elders found out, and the pastor told him, don't tell anyone, no one would fault the elder for telling everyone, <laughs> telling the proper leadership there in the church, what is happening. But when you look at Hebrews 13, um, where it talks about how we should um, submit to those that have a rule over us regarding within the church, there are no limitation clauses there either. Yet no one would fault the elder for telling the other elders about the pastor stealing money. But for some reason, when it comes to civil government, there's this idea that, oh, you got to obey no matter what. And that's not true. And Romans 13 definitely does not teach that you should always obey the civil government. Can I, I'm going to ask a question. It's kind of like a three-pronged question, and and it, it's, it, it relates uh, to what you were just saying. It's, uh, basically, who can interpose or who can stand in between? Now, if, if the local government fails, say like the state government fails to interpose and the county government fails to interpose and the local government fails to interpose, who is who is the last line of defense? Can anybody just come up and kill a tyrant? Like who, you know, where does where does it end, and then we just suffer as Christians, um, or or does it not? Or like, do, do individual people have the ability to to then defy tyrants? Well, Christian men have written about these things and debated these things over the centuries. There's you know you can Google it, you can find writings and read about these types of things. Um, in my book, what I don't even address that because my hope is is that the lesser magistrates will stand. <laughs> and my my alternative is to flee. <laughs> you know, if nobody's going to stand and this whole thing's going down with the ship, 
fleeing is another means of um, avoiding persecution if you're able to do that. Um, so my hope is is that the lower magistrates will stand. I'm trying to rally Christian people and non-Christian people um, to understand this doctrine and to actually apply it regarding their role, which is to rally to their lesser magistrates, instruct them in what their God-given role, function, and duty is, and let them know that they will support them when they take a stand. So to prod them to do right, and then to stand with them when they do do right. I just see it as, I just see it as such a good thing, um, the way the whole doctrine works. And again, it has the best possibility, and it's been proven so, though it's not always that way, to rein in the tyranny of the tyrannical higher authority bloodlessly. I, we know you have to uh, take off in a minute. Do you, you have another like couple minutes to, to talk to us? What time do you have to go? Yeah, I need to leave in five minutes. Okay. So if we go a few minutes over, yeah, I'll just apologize when I get there. Okay. <laughs> so. okay. Yeah. Oh, uh, we don't want to hold you for too long. Does anybody else have any specific questions they'd like to ask him? Oh, Pastor Matt, I just want to really thank you for uh, for joining us and coming on and just writing the book and being an influence. And um, if you could maybe uh, take just a minute just to tell everyone how they can uh, they can get a hold of you. Yeah, you can go to our website, defytyrants.com, and um, you can email me from there. You can also call uh, the church where I pastor if you prefer to use the phone. Uh, the number is 262 628 quick before you leave, um, are there any books by John Knox that you would recommend that might help us on this topic? Oh, absolutely. If, um, you should, everyone should read The Appellation to the Nobles of Scotland. It was written in 1558. John Knox, by the way, was impacted greatly by the Magdeburg Confession. 
he did a great job here. Another one that's excellent and people can read, it's also online, I believe, is Christopher Goodman, who was um, a friend of John Knox's. And uh, he wrote um, a treatise on superior powers and how they are to be obeyed. And what's great about Goodman's work, which is on the Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate, written in the same year also, 1558, um, what's great about his work is he spends half of his work answering objections to the Lesser Magistrate Doctrine. And I'll tell you, when you read his work, it's all the same objections you hear from Christian people today. Nothing's changed. <laughs> and he gives a great response to all of them. So both of those works are incredibly important to read. By the way, these these teachings from these Christian men impacted our founding fathers. Uh, they regularly read the Magdeburg Confession. They regularly read the um, uh, Appalachian, I should say. And um, so it's, a, it's an important work um, that they did. And unfortunately, you know, our founding fathers kind of like took out all the Christianity out of the doctrine of the lesser magistrate and left us with this thing called nullification, hmm. which we could talk about sometime also. And um, so, but all the ideas or the principles or the idea behind nullification was actually found within the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. That is so interesting. I, I love this stuff. Um, we're so glad that you decided to come on with us. Uh, we really appreciate your work. And uh, we pray that more Christians will see this issue as, as important so that they will um, acknowledge Christ as supreme and put him as Lord over their lives in every area, not just uh, not just on Sunday morning. Amen. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity, and I pray God continues to bless your work and use you exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ever ask or think, because Christian people need to hear the things you guys are talking about. And we've seen the wretch, wretchedness of pietism. Uh, we've seen what it's left uh, Christianity in the state of. We've seen what it's left uh, our nation in the state of. And, uh, yeah. Amen. Oh, this, this stuff's important. Thank you so much. Great. Yeah, and thank you for being willing to send us those letters. Or we just want to make things as easily, easy as possible for people to start implementing these practices. Just It's new stuff to everyone, so we want to make it just super easy, copy and paste, and plug and play. So thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Take care. you guys. We'll see you. Bye-bye. Wow, so we covered a whole lot in a short period of time, and I feel like we could have... We, we barely scratched the surface on... Well, the stuff that's in his book. I, I, I have my copy of the book as we were kind of going through this and I was I was mentioned to the guys. I have I have notes and I have it marked up on pretty much every single page. A really good book for that would be a good companion to this is a book by um by a guy named Gordon Runyon. He's a pastor out of New Mexico and he has a book called uh, Romans thirteen uh, resistance to tyranny or resist Resistance to tyrants. Well, I'll, I'll look it up and we'll put it. We'll put a link on on the the page, and um, it it really specifically addresses a lot of the same things that Pastor Matt was talking about in in Rome, but just talking about Romans thirteen and and kind of breaking it down in layman's terms. It's very very accessible book. It's not it's not super. Uh, it's not written for academics at all. It's written for the layman and uses 
a lot of just common language to, to explain basically the, the Romans 13 portion of, of this book. Yeah, that was good stuff. Uh, it's definitely a, it's definitely some things that need to be thought about in our culture and society that, again, the whole idea of lesser magistrate and doctrine of interposition, uh, these kind of responsibilities all are understood when we when we subject ourselves to the teaching of Scripture that Christ is reigning over the nations now, that you don't have to vote for him, you don't have to invite him, he is your king, whether you want him to be or not, because he has defeated death at his resurrection, and he's been declared to be king uh, in that act. So, and his ascension, he sits at the right hand of the Father. So this this is where, I bring this up because what Pastor Matt was sharing with us today with his book and everything, that's where your theology meets, that's where the rubber really meets the road, where your theology really meets uh, every everyday life. So, Believing that Christ reigns and that he rules, reading the scriptures and letting the scriptures dictate your reality, explain and be your framework for how you see the world, uh, will really dictate your behavior and how you respond to things such as tyranny and sin and wickedness, uh, whether it be in your heart, in your family, in your church, or in your society. Amen. And also another book that I'd recommend is The Establishment and Limits of Civil Government by James M. Uh, Wilson, which is available through uh, our website on the episode description. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, a little about James uh, Wilson, James M. Wilson. He has he also has a his father was also a, a, a pastor and an author, James R. Wilson. Uh, but he goes through um, Romans thirteen, does a very careful and thorough exegesis of the text. Um, you know, clearly showing the 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 proper you know, extent of the power of civil government. Um, and that is a really great book. If you want to have a just a irrefutable understanding of Romans 13, that is definitely the book that, that you want to read. Yeah. And you know what the interesting thing, we have a lot of people who, who are detracting from this particular doctrine and this particular idea. And I feel as if they, they're, they're accusing people who hold to, a biblical view of God's law and the continuation of it and its application. I feel like people are are accusing us of of wanting to be um, disobedient to the institutions that God have God has placed um, in authority over us. And I think we should we need to say in no uncertain terms that when the civil magistrate um, obeys God's word and executes justice faithfully. Like we have no problem, and Paul talks about this. It's like if I have done anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But the issue is, the state has set itself up over and over again, time and time again, as God and in the place of God. We've seen that. We saw this in the first century. We saw that Babylon. We saw that with uh, King Saul. We over and over again we see uh, people who want to exalt themselves in the place where God should be. And we even see, we even see uh, Psalm of David, Psalm two, talking about kings being warned that they should kiss the sun, lest he be angry. And so when we, when we're interested in defying tyrants, or we're interested in disobedience, you know, civil disobedience, or not obeying um, uh, tyranny, or you know, resisting tyranny, we're not doing it out of, out of a 
out of a hatred for what God has ordained, but we ha- do it out of a love for what for what God has said that we should be doing. And so we want to honor those who we should be honoring, but also obey God rather than men. Yeah, people are so quick to yell Romans thirteen like they you know like they yell Armenians yell Servetus. Uh, you wonder what they would say to Martin Luther King Jr. if he were around today. It's quite amazing. And I've even heard people go so far as to say that the, the midwives in Egypt and Rahab the harlot and Daniel and all, the, all those people were were actually disobeying God, like that they should not have done that. And they were actually sinning, but God gave them special grace you know, and called, <laughs> called it good, even though because it was like supernatural. Yeah, that was a good conversation. I wish we could have, wish we could have gone longer. We should uh, see if we can get them on again another time and let you dig into the book a little bit more on some specific topics. But I'm looking forward to getting some of those copies of his letters. We can make those available to all you guys to make this easy. I know, like, like I said, for me, I didn't grow up with the idea of changing the government or politics at all. It was just, uh, it's just this bigger thing out there. I I was always standoffish, everything, but uh, yeah, we can, we can do work. We give, it's amazing what people will do when they feel empowered. When we go to our, our, the, our, local government officials and uh give them give them reason to stand up and show them that we support them and and doing the right thing yeah it's a good gospel opportunity as well have that yeah, conversation absolutely. So. all right well thanks for joining us on dat post mill we will catch you next time yeah make sure you check out our website datpostmill.com one word one l uh we've got a lot of articles up there we've had a couple recent ones on just d- defining what theonomy is, just defining what Christian reconstruction is. We still got the ask a theonomist thing going on. Um, we're going to have some episodes coming out real quick with that. We're editing them right now, but keep the questions coming. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, all around the webs, or even on Google plus. Um, so keep hashtagging that post mail. Have a good week. I like that. Hey Knox, I know what you was doing, man. When you was doing all this, but <laughs> another one. Let's go. Walk, talk, eat, drink, sleep, dream, gospel. Wake, pray, read, dress, work, think, gospel. Press, fellowship, yes, church, hear, see, gospel. Everything, gospel. Everywhere, everywhere.